Welcome to Tights Camera Action, the podcast that licenses people to drive but not to live. My name is Owen Vandenberg. <laughs> I don't even get it. It was a reference to the movie we're talking about. License. Oh, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes. Anyway. Oh, oh. <laughs> oh I'm glad we all watched it in preparation. <laughs> I thought it was a James Bond thing yeah, or something. Yeah, it sounded James Bondy to Li- me. License to Drive, the famous James Bond movie. <laughs> License to Drive. <laughs> Isn't that a Corey's movie? <laughs> yeah, it is. Okay. Anyway, welcome to Tights Camera Action, superhero movie podcast. My name's Owen Vandenberg. I'm joined, as always, by my co-host, Kyle Scherer. Hello. And Steph Kachias. Hey. And we are talking about the 2000 movie X-Men. Yes, uh, directed by Brian Singer. Mm-hmm. Uh, I chose this one. Basically, um, well, we knew, I knew we needed to get to the X-Men films at some stage, and I remember I was, I was kind of agonising over which one to pick because there's several, and um, they're actually all notable. Um, most of them are really good. A couple of them are really bad. Um, but in my mind, they're um, probably one of the most significant comic book movie franchises ever. And certainly personally for me, they're a huge part of my introduction to superheroes in general. X-Men are my favourite comics and it's my favourite superhero franchise, so uh, film franchise. So it was a big deal and I really did struggle to decide which one we should talk about first um, and then sort of just back and forth decided, oh, well, we might as well just start with the first one, like, I could start anywhere, but we might as well start with the where it all started, which was in 2000 when Brian Singer, who was fresh off the success of... Um, Apt Pupil. <laughs> and the usual suspects, <laughs> R.I.P. Brad Renfro. Um, <laughs> died of a heroin overdose. Uh, Bringing it down. Ladies and gentlemen, we are now seeing the beginnings of another stage of human evolution. The truth is that mutants are very real, and they are among us. We must know who they are, and above all, what they can do. We're not what you think, not all of us. Who are you people? What kind of place is this? I'm Professor Charles Xavier. I built this school where mutants could learn to focus their powers in a positive way and also learn that mankind was not evil, just uninformed. You'll be safe here from Magneto, a very powerful mutant who believes that a war is brewing between mutants and the rest of humanity. There is a war coming. You sure you're on the right side? I've never seen anything like this before. We are the future, Charles, not them. They no longer matter. Hold on to something. you mentioning this was like the first introduction to like the modern superhero genre and i was about 13 when this movie came out and it just had such a big effect on me i actually remember when i was 13 after this movie came out like 
going to my first internet chat room and this was a chaperoned experience so my mother my mother was sitting next to me we'd just gotten dial up and she was like okay like i've i've read in the newspapers about this chat room thing so you can you can join in i'll be like you, the interface between you and the chat room in case anything sus happens uh and the first thing was like you have to pick a username yeah and she was like what username do you want do you want to pick and i was like call me rogue and she just <laughs> she just gave me this look and <laughs> i think we didn't end up going with rogue i think uh, uh we landed on sort of captain k i think but uh i just remember like every every superhero name in this movie and every superhero in this movie just like really sank into me and it was just i remember it all being so cool at the well, time for me it was like it was the first time i'd seen live action actors playing characters that I knew, you know, like oh, right. it was, the. F- I mean, I, I guess apart from Superman, but I was too young. And, and when I first watched Superman, it really, I watched it when I was a kid mm. and it really didn't speak to me. But this was like, I knew who Rogue was in the comics. I knew who Wolverine was in the comics. And here they were as like Anna Paquin as Rogue. Mm. Like that was huge for me. Like yeah. it was, I'd never seen a, I'd just never seen a live action superhero movie and even like then they started to like make references to the comics and little little like Mm. easter eggs and it was the first time that was ever really properly done and it just was so cool as a fan it was that first real fan experience that i had Mm. and there was a lot of good groundwork laid by the the 90s cartoon series like that was where a lot of and like i I became familiar with the x-men through that first and that had a lot of they they did a lot of work on adapting various storylines from the comics into that show so i think a lot of people that had grown up watching that cartoon series were like right at the perfect time to be watching a superhero movie and then it was something familiar so. yeah. yeah that was exactly my experience i'd never read comics but that 90s series uh that was like i'd watch that before school every day yeah. and that yeah. had senator kelly it had uh wolverine yeah. uh i mean there was no sentinels in the movies but uh, other than that it was all like really familiar turf mm-hmm. and i mean the other thing is so like when this movie starts the opening scene is like i mean there's a there's a voiceover from patrick stewart um, but then, and then it goes into a sort of short, kind of just graphical um, uh, uh, opening credit scene. But then it jumps straight into um, a concentration camp. In, oh, it's, in, yeah, it's, it's so dark. Yeah. It's 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 unlike any other superhero. And that was the thing that struck me when I was watching this was that at that time in two thousand, I don't think any superhero franchise had begun in such a, I guess, a realistic um, and. Uh, Genuinely dramatic. Generally, right? exactly, yeah. and taking itself really, really seriously. And there was no winking to the camera. Mm. It was like, oh yeah, one of the characters, you know, this young mutant is a Jew in like a, co- a concentration camp, and yeah. it's 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 that dark. So sp- specifically, uh, it starts in 1944 uh, in in like a World War Two concentration camp in Poland, and this is where we first meet the antagonist of the movie, uh, a man called Magnet, uh, who has the powers <laughs> to manipulate all metal uh, objects in the air and we see him in quite a, a disturbing scene where he's being torn away from his parents what this is this is not laughing i'm sorry if this is so, to- sorry hey, sorry captain k um, <laughs> this is it's like the biggest war crime in modern warfare so should up? we just okay so magnet what, what, is torn away from okay him. no <laughs> yeah, okay, <laughs> Magnet is so he's okay. Come on, guys. Like, so we start off. We start off fifty-seven years before nine eleven in a place called Poland. In a place called Poland during a war called World War Two, and 
a young man called Magnet is being torn away from his parents in a very grounded, realistic, very painful scene. And during this, as his mother is like torn away by by Nazi guards, uh, he is resisting and is is holding on to the gate of the concentration camp and they're trying to rip him away, but they can't. Mm -hmm. And uh, finally a guard knocks him out and it turns out that he's actually distorted the metal in all of the gates. And this is kind of our, our first opening to like these weird powers that these characters are going to have but also like showing us the, the magnitude of the pain and the mm. sort of issues that we're going to be dealing with the magnitude magnitude <laughs> yes. yeah, yeah. <laughs> pop pop <laughs> um, yeah so that's a really really well um well rounded up scene of of of, of that uh, opening Kyle, thank you. Um, let's move thank on. Um, it, then it cuts to Louisiana, uh, where there's a young girl who's, uh, I don't know, 16, uh, and she's um, with a boy in her room, and she's talking about how she's going to move to um, or go on an adventure across the country. And then she has her first pubescent kiss with this boy, and immediately she starts to, I guess, um, absorb the life essence out of him as they kiss and that's because she touched him and her mutation which is to I guess absorb powers and life forms out of people um, has just emerged and because that's part of the lore of being a mutant is that your powers tend to come on at puberty or when you're you know when you're young and, and you're not necessarily born with them but you develop them around that stage of your life and we find out that this girl uh, later on, is is Rogue. Her name's Marie, and then she she turns into she turns out she's Rogue, who is a famous another famous comic, um, a comic character in uh, in the X Men. I don't know. We're a bit all over the shop today, aren't we, guys? What's going on? Um. Anyway, <laughs> <laughs> sure. Someone else want to jump in? Next, we cut to everyone's favorite thing: a Senate hearing. <laughs> <laughs> So this Senate hearing is good because... Hang on, before we go, I'm going to set the scene here. Okay, before I derail it. 1999, Phantom Menace has come out and made more money than any other Star Wars movie. What do people like? Scenes in Senates. Yep. (laughs) So a year later, 2000, what do we need to kickstart our superhero movie? Senate inquiry. Senate inquiry. Yes, so there we have, what, Jean Grey? Yep, yep, I believe, yes. Jean Grey testifying. Making an impassioned speech to the Senate and we meet our legislative antagonist... Uh, Senator Kelly. Yeah, Bruce Davison. Is mm. that his name? Yeah. yeah. So he's um, a, a kind of famous character actor. I actually watched was watching an episode on the plane the other day of um, Project Greenlight, and um, it, it was uh, not a very good show, but um, Bruce Davidson was in the movie that was being done by Project Greenlight, and I was like, oh, it's Senator Kelly. Like, I still <laughs> think of him in that way. Yep. So, yeah, Senator Kelly is there, and he's sort of like um, – what do mutants have to hide? Why are mutants having to? We, they want to do a mutant registration so that all mutants around the around America, um, yeah, register themselves. Now this is sort of like a, a classic. Um, the thing about the X Men as a comic, and I think what made it such a such a unique and such an important comic, apart from the fact that it's so cool, like the concept of mutation and all of these different people with different powers coming together and being a team, is inherently a great concept. But the other thing that made the X Men and mutants in the Marvel universe so important was that they were an analogy for ageism. Um, <laughs> You're on fire today, Kyle. You're on fire. Um, no, it was. It's an analogy for, I guess, any 
any minority. So it could be a racial minority. It could be often um, in, in X-Men 2, it's very much drawn into sort of um, LGBT minorities. Um, but really, it's it's sort of just a, a, a proxy for any any group in society that's um, persecuted against and, um, and I guess, um, disempowered. Um, and scared as the, and otherized or whatever it is, I guess, just um, yeah, alienated. It's extremely versatile, and I think yeah. that's why so many movies have been spun out of it. I mean, they've had more movies than any other superhero franchise. I think only Spider-Man would, would come close. Yeah. And that's because, you know, it can be, yeah, it can be used to, you can draw in, like, yeah, gay themes, you can draw in, like, uh, themes of being an ethnic minority. I mean, that, that Senate inquiry was very much, like, Copy pasting like McCarthyist communist sort of language. So yeah, there's there's a real sort of disempowered uh, disempowered underdog kind of like pathos to the X Men, yeah. and it's always strongest when it kind of just like taps in uh, to that. Yeah, and that you're right. That that's just like um, the underlying, I guess, um, uh, uh, conflict within the X Men is always that they're fighting to save humanity, but humanity. Hates, afraid, and, fears. hates yeah. and fears them, which is, I guess, inherently um, interesting um, and and just provides lots of dramatic um, opportunities. So mm. at this Senate hearing, uh, Patrick Stewart, who is Professor Xavier, now he pronounces it Xavier, but technically it's Xavier, right? Yeah, I always thought it was it Xavier. Xavier. I d- I'm not entirely sure because I have I think in that 90s series they always said Xavier. Well, yeah. it's like uh, an, is that just like an American thing? Like Americans just don't know that X is... Like Z, and so they're just um, and also they just really need to make it really clear that it's X Xavier. Yeah, you gotta hit that X men. I don't know, mm, but anyway, it's weird that he's X Xavier, and he spots uh, an an old foe in the crowd, and they magnet. Are we gonna let this happen the yep. whole time? It's okay. going the whole All time. Right. <laughs> um, yeah, magnets there. If there's anything you want to give us feedback about on the episode, <laughs> just tweet to at TCA Pod. Yep. Yep. yep just if if we happen to get any detail wrong whatsoever, just let us know. I mean, we really we're well, we're well researched and mm. we know our stuff here, so um, that shouldn't be that much to talk about. But anyway, Magnet is there, and he says um, he's like, "Oh, hello, Charles. Hello, old friend." And they have this sort of, I guess this is the first time that the world saw these two super friends who ended up being like the world's best bros in the world patrick stewart and ian mckellen um you know uh what's his name in the what you know what's his captain what is he in the starship the oh picard yeah, yeah captain picard and you know the starship and and gandalf together as mutant foes and they in the next like six movies they like uh, still as awesome as ever. Yeah, always with the, the verbal chess matches oh, yeah. is really what X-Men is all about. Uh, and it's kind of funny because in the in the X-Men, kind of like the, the universe of it, in the movies and in the comics, they tend to play up the idea that uh, Professor Xavier is sort of like representing the Martin Luther King Jr. side of it, if you're looking at it as a civil rights analogy, and Magnet is representing sort of more of the Malcolm X kind of side of it. Uh, but I'm, I'm not sure, because I was, I was looking up, and apparently Stan Lee has said that he never really intended when he wrote X-Men for it to be an analogy for civil rights, even though he was writing it in the 60s. No, I'm not, I'm not joking. No, I no, think I've, 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 he said that. Mute, but... He was just like, hmm, what can I use as a device to just generate superpowers without having to have every single character like be exposed to a gamma bomb or mm. a radioactive spider bite? And then he was like, hmm, maybe a mutation. But then, I'm not sure. I think at least subconsciously it had to be in the 
the DNA of the series from the beginning, surely. Uh, but yeah, the the whole sort of like dilemma between the two intel so two ideological ways of looking at it, where it's either like you know mutants are fighting for their own survival by any means necessary, or mutants need to learn to coexist with humans. I mean, that's just something that they just do in literally every single X Men movie that's ever made. Well, I don't. I'm not surprised by that at all because I don't think when I think of Stanley, I think of a guy who kind of he did get like as far as in term in, as far as tapping into the zeitgeist. He, I mean, his big thing was that he created Spider-Man in the sense that he created a character that geeks who read comic books could relate mm. to. And that was really, that was kind of the extent of the depth that he got to, I think. I, I completely agree. I think the whole, I don't think he's really smart enough or, I don't know, socially conscious enough to really have made that a conscious thing to say, yeah, I'm going to make an analogy. That doesn't surprise me at all. I he's, think it was like a far-out sci-fi concept to him, where he's like, yeah. what if there was a group of people who, just by virtue of their genetics, were discriminated against? What a fantastical, <laughs> weird concept that doesn't happen anywhere in the world. <laughs> and yeah, then he yeah, was yeah. like, oh, wow, this is really striking a chord. I wonder why. <laughs> yeah, 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 and one of them can have, like, big knives that come out of his fist. Yeah. So mm. it'll be perfect. Uh, we'll call him Fist Knife. <laughs> Fist Knight versus Magnet. It's the, it's the fight of the, the century. The classic struggle. <laughs> getting on, the, getting back to that that, that first scene between um, Picard and Gandalf, I do think that that's. I actually think that's the best scene in the movie. Yeah. Like that's still my favorite scene in the movie. Is just the the little just the little exchange between. There's such a nice energy there, and it's yeah. a, it's a really nice summation of what's to come. It's a nice thesis statement, and they just act the hell out of it. It's and it's great. also a really cool shot. They're in that cool. Um, they're in some sort of building that has this cool sort of um, uh, like sort of industrial um, architecture to it, and there's lots of X's like yeah. in, the, in the architecture. It just looks really. It just looks cool where they are. Yeah, I like that scene as well. Um, and then we cut to uh, Alberta, Canada, or northern Alberta, Canada, and they're up in the snow and Rogue, who, who's hitchhiked her way out, so she's obviously run away from home um, as she can't really deal with what's happened to her. Um, and she, she finds herself in this bar where there's a cage fight happening between um, a, at the time, unknown Hugh Jackman, and it was really the world's introduction to what turned out to be a huge superstar um, because of his charisma and his acting and his just awesomeness in general. So was was he on Broadway before this? No, I don't think so. He was on Australian stage and he'd done a lot of Australian productions. I don't think he'd done Broadway. Uh, don't oh. quote me on that, but I don't think so. By Broadway, I just mean like theatre Oh, stuff. he'd done theatre. He d- Definitely. Like he was, um, I think he was Gaston in The Beauty and the Beast in Australia. Hmm. And yeah, he definitely had a big career in Australian TV and film. And um, and yeah, he was a, a stage star as well. But I'm not sure if he'd actually been on Broadway yet. I don't think so. But yeah, this was, he was an unknown. He was replaced. He replaced Dugray Scott, who was the original um, actor um, what, why are you laughing? Because he's the villain in Mission Impossible, Impossible. 2. Yeah. <laughs> and Do that's Grace, the only thing I know him from. Well, I think Dugray Scott turned this down to do Mission Impossible yeah, 2. Yeah, that's Good right. call. Yeah, exactly. Mm. Terrible call. And so, and I remember reading at the time or at some point, Hugh Jackman, because there's an 80s pub band from Australia called the Uncanny X-Men. And Hugh Jackman thought that this movie was a biopic of that when he when they first said to him, like, do you want to be in the X-Men? And he was like, what's the X-Men? And, yeah, it turned out to be, like, the biggest role of his career. And anyway, so – and, I mean, I don't know how old he is now. This was six, This was 16 years ago. 
he'd be around 45 now, so he was probably around 30. I'd, would mm-hmm. that be probably the age we are now? Ooh. He was then, so Ooh. that's kind of depressing. <laughs> um, <laughs> it's a sad podcast. Yeah, this is a weird episode already, I can tell. I don't know. Wait energy. till we get to the plug section. I got some big Hollywood news to announce about myself. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, but in, in that boxing match, so the introduction to Wolverines, as you said, underground sort of like cage fighting match in this pub. And he's just, like, him and this other guy, like, beating the crap out of each other. The crowd seems, like, really, really overly negative towards Wolverine. Like, did you pick that up? Yes. Like, they're just, like, booing and hissing and throwing things at him. Yeah, I think that was, that's part of the plot. I think that he's an outsider. He's someone who probably wins a lot and but doesn't have, like, a following because he's this outsider. So, um... Yeah, I think he. I think he is. I think he's like part. Part of the plot is that he's this sort of man without any, without any uh, connection to the world around him, and is a loner, and is and is in a world that's hostile towards him. Mm. And I think that's part of the. I mean, all of these. Oh characters yeah, I get the vibe. Have, I was just like, man, that crowd is really mean. Yeah, they are. For no they reason. are. Yeah, and they're in Canada of all places. Yeah. <laughs> and they should all be just be like. Well done. Well done. Yeah. Um, well, 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 uh, nearly killed there. Um, so, but do, does the crowd know he's a mutant? Like, is there? Is I wondered if that's meant to be like that they suspect it, but not, like, because because it's pretty clear that he's like, you know, like he's headbutting people and there's a loud metal clang. Yeah. He's got a metal skeleton, yeah. and I don't know if that's just for us as the audience or if that's meant to be that the crowd's I, also like well, he's a mutant, but we can't openly accuse him of they it. They kind of have it both ways in this movie because yeah. they're kind of talking about mutants in the Senate. But then to the average person on the street, it's sort of more like an urban legend or something where it's like, you know, are these things real or false? So it seems to be something that's only just at the time of the movie, like coming into the, into yeah. the limelight. Yeah. yeah. And I think, and no, I don't think they know because, okay. because later when he, like the guy says, you owe me money, you cheated. Like, yeah. and I think it's because they're like, you misrepresented yourself as being just a normal dude and clearly there's something different about you. And then when he does sort of... Fist um, knife. Fist knife, mm. uh, the guy, the the owner of the bar, you know, is like, get out of here, freak. So, like, that's when he exposes his powers mm. to, to the people in the bar. But then he, you know, sort of... Uh, Rogue is there and sees it and helps him and they sort of form a connection. And then later on it turns out that she's tried to hitchhike her way or, or stow away herself in his truck and then um, he sort of softens and lets her come along with him. Um, yeah. Uh, I think that's – have we jumped ahead? No, I think that's the next thing that happens. Yeah, that's roughly chronological. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, oh, sorry, and while they're in the bar, they also see on the um, on the TV that there's, like, going to be this big um, uh, gathering of all the world leaders on Ellis Island. Yeah, it's in, weird in that's York. in there, right? Because that never comes up again. No, okay. it's, it's it's almost like it was foreshadowing something. If it was any other movie, it would be, but I guess not. Yeah, well. um, so then, uh, then basically, um, uh, Wolverine and Rogue are in the car, and then they have a crash, and she gets stuck in the car, and it goes on fire. Um, and then, and Wolverine. Then we we also have the reveal that he has healing powers because he gets flung from the car, but then he's okay, and you can see like all of his um, cuts and stuff healing. And they're attacked by Sabretooth, who's this sort of weird. Uh, who's the actually like a Power Rangers villain? In yeah, this kind of, he's just like this big snarly, mm. kind of hairy, kind of caveman guy. So Tyler Mane, right? Yeah, who was a, a wrestler. wrestler. Yeah. yeah. So I guess. 
look, this movie has aged incredibly well and in, in a lot of ways is, is when I rewatched it for this and, I, and I've seen it so many times, I was still so taken by how good it is, like just how well made it is as considering it was only like two years after Blade and really there were no prototypes for good comic book movies at this stage. How good this is is quite extraordinary. However, there are some problems with it and I think one of the big problems with it is that Magnet's crew, apart from Mystique, mm are pretty lame. I think part of that is because they've invested so much in making this big philosophical battle between Ian McKellen and Patrick Stewart, and those are both such heavyweight actors that the supporting characters can't really risk overshadowing them. So they're like, let's just give them the most limited bunch of goons to like work with, uh, yeah. just so that we don't distract any attention from like the the yeah the the uh, pool of Ian McKellen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it is hard when your bad guys are two old men, basically, mm. like, you know, and not making them sort of two guys that can fight. So the guys that can fight have to be, I guess, a bit more, yeah, cartoony. But it's definitely one of the one of the weaker parts of the film is the Sabretooth and Toad, who is yeah. another one of um, uh, Magnet's uh, henchmen. Mm. Played by Ray Park from The Phantom Menace. Yeah. <laughs> this was, this was the, when he was at his peak career, basically. Yeah, he was in two movies. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Good for him. Good for him. Um, so Sabretooth is there, but then they're rescued by the X-Men, um, by Storm and uh, Cyclops. Cyclops in this movie, I love mm. him in the comics, but... In this movie, he is basically like a bad guy from a ski resort in another movie. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Like, he is just, he's got such a weird attitude. He and even has the stay away from my girl line. Yeah. <laughs> even though he kind of calls it out himself yeah, yeah, and then yeah. he says it anyway, but yeah. it's just like such a weird machismo, but mm. self kind of deprecating at the same time. And it's just like, I was expecting him to hit the slopes at any yeah. moment. Oh, you think you can win the big race Wolverine? Yeah. yeah, yeah we'll yeah. see about that. And at the end, he gets like, just like a, a, a um, porta potty tipped on him or something. Yeah. Like, yeah. Whoa! Whoa! Damn it! Um, Freeze frame. Yeah, 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 exactly. He is like that. Okay. And that's another, so I think one of the hardest things, and this is probably something that, in the way, in a way, the X Men films are a prototype for what came next with Marvel. So they they tried out a lot of things, and I think Marvel then, in its Avengers and in its new cinematic universe, has really learnt a lot from some of the mistakes and some of the things that the X Men films did. Because as much as I love them, I I do I admit that there's there are issues with them. One of them being that, and it's not just this movie; it's some of the next movies too. He doesn't quite know how to get the best out of every character and the writing mm. sometimes lets it down. And one of the big times that that happens is, yeah, Cyclops and Storm. Storm, And yeah. later Rogue as well. But well, there's so many spinning plates and every character has to have their one or two, like, key scenes per movie. And then there's always just going to be a percentage of those that flop. Like, it's, it's kind of infamous for... I mean, Storm wasn't bad in this movie, but I think she kind of is associated with a lot of the things that people don't, don't like about X-Men 2 and 3, just because... The, the weird shifting of prominence where the spotlight is on, you know, Nightcrawl, then spotlight's on, you know, Storm, then spotlight's on Rogue, and everyone yeah. has to have, like, their own little arc. It just mm. kind of gets a bit exhausting, and the ones that the arc doesn't quite fit into the main plot, it just feels really unnecessary. Yeah, and they feel underserviced. Mm. So, um, especially for – I mean, especially Cyclops, because he was the leader and supposed to be – 
a, a, a pretty major figure in the X-Men and in this movie he just he's nothing like he's just sort of really brings nothing there's a hint of a, a rivalry over Jean between him and Wolverine which is from the comics and and you know is part of it um but you know, it's not a, it's not front and center, and his his performance, which is a pity because James Marsden is great. Like, there's nothing wrong with James Marsden, but it's just the he just is never given enough. Mm. But that's what I mean. Like, when you look at the Avengers now, where you do have like a big team of superheroes, where they get it so right, they get that balance so right, mainly because the writing is so much better, and they they're just clever in how they combine characters and pair them up in different ways, so you can see that better. But in, in these movies, they didn't quite get it, I don't think. Well, didn't Joss Whedon also yeah. do, like, a pass at X-Men 1? He did, and and you can hear it in a couple of scenes. You can really only hear his, his writing, his quips come through, like, twice. Mm. And I think literally he did one pass over it, and they didn't keep a lot of it, from my understanding. Joss Whedon also wrote um, probably one of the best X-Men um runs ever when he did a few years ago when he did it and it was very kitty pride heavy i love mm. those that he wrote. astonishing x-men was good but yeah. my favorite is still grant morrison's x-men run yeah because uh, that really hits hard the idea that mutants as a whole are uh, a genuine sub uh counterculture uh, sorry subculture in the united states and just goes a lot into like the non-photogenic mutants yeah because in a lot of X-Men runs, it's like every single mutant just has a really awesome power. Like, they've got wings and they can fly, or they can shoot laser beams. And then Grant Morrison's run was one of the first ones to really go into, like, okay, there's going to be mutations which are just kind of grotesque and more, like, debilitating. And yeah. kind of, it just, it just gave a bit of a gravitar to it, and it really brought out a lot more about the idea of, like, mutants versus humans than mm. I think other runs have. Yeah. Uh, but, yeah, uh, Whedon's run I really enjoyed as well. Yeah. Uh, so, basically, uh, so it turns out that, I mean, I don't want to get into the, the plot of the bad guy too much now, but basically they, they get attacked by Sabretooth, who is um, Magneto's, you know, Mag Sabretooth goes back to Magneto's big um, evil lair and there's a comment about how he was supposed to bring someone back with him. And the movie sort of throughout, you're assuming that they want Wolverine. Mm. And then, like, the reveal halfway through the movie is that they actually wanted Rogue. My question is, how did Magneto know Rogue existed? So it's a good question. I mean, the only the only hint towards that is that Xavier says at one point in time that he helped him to design Cerebro. So yeah. you kind of think, well, they both have an idea of how to track down mutants, but at the same time, like you need a psychic to work Cerebro in the first place. So I'm honestly not sure. I mean, it's it's a question how he knew about Wolverine as well, but. I mean, you could kind of make the argument that Wolverine had been around longer and had maybe made a bit of a reputation and was maybe on Magneto's hit list for a while. But Rogue was just like a teenage girl mm. who'd come from Louisiana yeah. and like run away. run away and stayed pretty low profile. So how Sabretooth, like how they knew to find her in Alberta with, with Wolverine to begin with is a huge plot hole in my opinion. Like I don't understand how yeah. she was, how he knew about her, how he knew about her power. Maybe Sabretooth is just like a PI part-time or something. <laughs> might I mean, be something that may, maybe um, maybe uh, Mystique tracked her down. I mean, that's the sort of thing Mystique would yeah, do. But oh, Okay, on Mystique, Mystique's fighting style in this movie, very similar, I think, to Black Widow in the yeah. Avengers movies. It's kind of like 
It's a style I kind of term writhe foo, where they're just like they just hop on people and then just like writhe around on them until they can like body slam them. But it's it's kind of really weird to watch. A lot of leg work. Yeah, a lot of like leg work, footwork, and it's just that there's a lot of breaching of personal space in this form of fighting. It just feels very strange Would to me. you prefer it when your hot women fight you, that they just very much keep their distance and just punch just you in the pu- face? punch me in the face. Don't just, like, hop up on the shoulders and then flip me upside down and then kind of, like, climb up the lattice work and... I don't know, just no need to get weirdly complicated about it. Just, like... <laughs> Punch me in the face. That's all it would take for me. Just one punch, I'd go down anyway. <laughs> sounds, like, sounds like someone's a little sore about the way he's losing his fights. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, so, basically, um, we're then sort of through Wolverine's eyes. Wolverine is sort of then becomes our audience surrogate into the X-Men because he's then taken into the, to the uh, Xavier School where the X-Men are based mm-hmm. and he wakes up and he meets beautiful Jean Grey, who's um, a doctor there, and and also then Professor Xavier. And this is one of the also one of the best parts of the movie for me, and it was the funnest part as a fan, is when he does the, the montage and tells him about the school, and it cuts to all the kids with their different powers, and mm. we're introduced to, you know, Kitty Pride and um, Iceman and Pyro and Walk on Water Kid and all these characters that we know from the comics, and mm. they're given like a little... You know, we're given a little glimpse of the kinds of powers these kids have. And is Colossus in this one or is it not no, till X2? No, not till X2. Okay. Yeah. Um, and, yeah, but there's just it's just cool. Like, and I remember when I first watched it being like, oh, my God, it's all the mutants. You know, mm. like it was just really, it's really fun. And uh, and we, we, we learn that it's a school and that there's like the older staff that are like the teachers and that that's like the original crew and then there's like all these kids that are there. So, um uh, it, it's great, and, and at first, um, uh, um, Wolverine is very much um, sort of not in, in, not interested. But then something happens that he goes, "Why does he stay?" And he, uh, exa- he, he finds a comfortable hoodie. Oh he's, yeah, <laughs> he's like, running hey, around. All he's the like, free hoodies. Yeah, free hoodies. Oh, this is, I'm a husky man. I need. Yeah. <laughs> I need There's a bit me. where he's like he's like broken out of the. Uh, room where he's woken up in and he's yeah. like checking out the mansion and he's kind of like in adrenaline mode running through and he opens up this one room and kind of like the wall kind of like moves back and you see all of the X-Men costumes in like individual glass containers yeah. is that like their changing room or something do they is that where they keep their costumes I didn't quite get that I think they so just like, yeah. it's kind of an overhang of 90s superhero movies where every costume gets displayed in a glass case yeah, yeah. is it like starship troopers do they all just like get changed in oh, front yeah. of each other and then yeah. just jump into that's battle that's exactly what it is yeah. you didn't see Paul Logan's pitch for the X-Men <laughs> <laughs> it's very bloody <laughs> very very gross but cool yeah very really interesting commentary <laughs> but yeah I think he's, uh, he's convinced to stay on because it'll help Rogue out yeah. like find a place among fellow youths and uh xavier also teases him saying uh you know i'll help you track down what happened in your past because you're an amnesiac and you've been wandering around and you can't remember anything i think the other thing to note is that this movie doesn't take place over a very long period of time like it's actually i reckon it's It's about a week it's probably about a week or so because then we cut back to um we cut to senator kelly who is in a um flying to ellis island or, or flying somewhere in a helicopter and then we are introduced to Mystique, who is a shapeshifter, mm. and um, turns out that yeah, he one of his aides, uh, he which who he thought was an aide, was actually Mystique, who's this all blue lady, and uh, they capture Senator Kelly and take him to Magneto's 
Magneto's lair. And that's when we learn about Magneto's plan, which again has holes in it because here mm. we go. Magneto has this machine that will admit certain energies and create mutations in people. Okay, where did that machine come from? Who built that machine? Well, see, my problem is more with the idea of the plan because that machine and Magneto's plan, or sorry, Magnet's plan in this movie is like the one thing that that kind of killed it for me. Because like when I was thinking back, all I'd remembered about X-Men before like re-watching it the other night was uh, the opening sequence, which I remember being like one of the best superhero opening sequences. Uh, and then remembering like the introduction of Hugh Jackman's Wolverine, which was really good. And then obviously like McKellen versus Stewart. And then I remember thinking it was all so, it was all working so well. And then you have this plan that just doesn't make sense for this character. It's like, it kind of, that's where the whole, any kind of metaphor that they're trying to draw between, you know, mutation and any kind of marginalized group just completely falls but apart. Hang on a minute. It's it a weird sci-fi plot. Well, no, but okay. But the, the, I do kind of understand, like, it does fit with the general, um, like, tone of Magnet's whole motivation, which is to, that mutants are better. Like, like mutants are the rightful, like, dominant species on the planet, mm. and instead of trying to work with humans, they need to beat humans because humans are cruel anyway, and um, it's just evolution, baby. Like, you know, uh, mutants are better, right? So but why I mean, don't we just turn everyone into mutants? But that's... I don't know, that's kind of his, the first part of what you said. That's his plan in pretty much every other X-Men Sure. Film. Like, in X-Men 2, it's like, kill all humans. In X-Men 3, it's like become dominant over all humans and then in the pre previous x-men or like the prequel x-men it's always like a variation on like attack all humans it's not like make humans become like us because that kind of erases the weird screwed up hypocritical kind of supremacy nature of Mag magneto whereas like on the one hand is like you know i've suffered at the hands of a genocidal dictator before but on the other hand is solutions are always like a variation on the same exact tactics that persecuted him yeah and i think in x-men one it's just it's a bit too loopy it's just kind of like the sci-fi nature of this weird glowing ray that turns all humans into a mutant kind of i, I agree that 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 but that part of it doesn't make sense and i i, I don't love that machine and i, I don't love if that. the machine just was okay, it's going to kill all the world leaders and then we'll just take over that would have made so much more sense to me but if it was just a bomb <laughs> but that is what happens. Then it does. It turns out the machine doesn't work, and it does kill them. Yeah, so but Magneto didn't even realize that. that. He thought it did work. So yeah. yeah, just make the machine a bomb. He wants to kill all the world leaders, and then in the chaos, he's just gonna create this like ruling mutant party over the entire human race. In a way, though, it has to. It has to kill Senator Kelly because the X Men. Otherwise. Why would the X Men really want to stop turning everyone into human, everyone into mutants anyway? Like the stakes go heaps higher when after Senator Kelly can't handle the mutation mm. and dies. Mm. Like that's when it's like, oh shit, the X Men are like, oh shit, like everyone's going to die in New York when this goes off. So therefore, we have to stop it. Do you think that if that hadn't have happened and he just turned into a normal mutant, stayed a mutant, that they would have been so motivated? I mean, if okay, I guess the they would have just wanted to save Rogue, not necessarily mm. save the people. I don't know. What do you think of? Yeah, the stakes would have been a lot lower because I mean, yeah, there's there's issues of like obviously these people probably don't want to be turned into mutants, but if you're not threatening anyone's life, then 
it's pretty low stakes plan. But yeah, I mean, if you I, just get a cool power. Yeah, yeah, that's good, right? Well, they might yeah. just end up being one of the shit mutants yeah. from the Morrison run. Then. But they'll just turn into Marrow. Yeah, um, but this is where the whole analogy also kind of falls apart a bit because it's really it's it's not like the people who are against mutants are like you know the racists in our world. Really, it's a bit different because. They are. They do kind of have a point in a way. If people are being born who generally, genuinely have the power to like control other people's minds yeah. or like destroy buildings with a thought, like it is, it's not really equivalent to like yeah, being gay or yeah, exactly. being black or something. Yeah, I, I agree. Like there is. You're right. It's not. It's not quite the same thing. So you're pro registration. Mm. I think <laughs> Senator Kelly, when he was making that speech. He did, oh, you're hedging. He did make, I, I am hedging. <laughs> you're like, I'm, I'm not going to vote for I'm Trump, totally but he makes some good points, you know? <laughs> I'm totally. But what if, what if there could be a mutant who could run through Trump's wall? Then what happens? Then you need someone like Kelly, who's in Trump's administration, to make sure. Yeah, you need a double approach. You need the yeah. wall, but then you also need the removal. Yeah, we'll definitely build a wall. No okay. matter what, no, no question. And then probably, <laughs> maybe some, if there was some kind of robot that could be built that could detect who isn't is not a mutant Ooh. just so that You'd want to, just so that we could we, yeah. until we know what's going on that robot would probably need to be able to see over tall buildings though so you want to be oh, yeah. like, yeah. like, yeah. well, like a drone tall, like right? a drone yeah. you want to be up high you oh, want yeah. to have aerial capability and, and well you wouldn't want those robots to just detect you'd probably while they're at it just kill those mutants well you well. know in the initial sort of pilot of the drone program they yeah. actually had a drone uh, in two in the year 2000 the same year that X-Men was made that actually had visual confirmation of Osama bin Laden but wasn't able to take him out because it didn't have fighting capability. So that's when they started adding guns to drones and missiles to drones. No, that's true. That's absolutely true. Wow. Uh, and then, so with this with this robot that I'm proposing, like, obviously, yeah, you'd want to give it some firepower. And, you know, but you'd also want to make sure that it was, it was it's there to protect first first and foremost. And I think people would get on board with that. Just, um, just more uh, evidence that Bush did 9-11, guys. Just more evidence. Google Building 7. Um, <laughs> so the other thing I want to say about Mystique is that every time she comes on ca- on camera, like this sort of like Middle Eastern-y... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, her music sting. <laughs> this weird yeah. music that's like... La-da-da-da-da. <laughs> and the way she moves, she just kind yeah, of like, like writhes around <laughs> as well. <laughs> she's a she's snake. She's practicing yeah. her writhe food. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's weird. But um, she's cool. And the, and the makeup in that is great. The, the special effects in this movie are still really, generally hold up pretty well. They've dated a little bit, but in general they're still pretty good. Toad doesn't come off great. No, no. Well, we'll get to that. Um, Poor Ray Park. Oh, dear. Can't catch a break. Yeah. Life's tough in his, like, mansion of money that there's those two movies of Oh, those Phantom Menace have. dollars. Just yeah, those <laughs> Phantom Menace residuals. Just Imagine how much more he in. made on the re-release in 3D. <laughs> to be fair, though, I mean, Darth Maul was the best part of that movie. Yeah. So, he, you know. Everyone agrees on that. Yeah. yeah. Um, okay, so... While we're cycling through characters, just got to get this off my chest real yeah. quick. Then we can go back to the plot. Sure. Storm... She doesn't have weather powers. What she really has is lightning. That's it. She's well, got lightning. None of the other powers are up She uses powers. fog. She points out the window and no. then says, I did that. That's yeah. not a power. She, no, but she, she did she, do that. Yeah, but, Storm. Did, did, no, she, did Storm, she? Storm, give us some cover. Cover comes in. But it's an invisible plane. It's an invisible plane. You don't need fog. They need it for landing. And also to, 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 to throw off the 
Don't they throw it? They throw it off. No, but they've also, got they've got anti-radar technology. Snowstorm, boom. No, her, her list. Snowstorm the turns list of up. things. The list of things she can do. So like she rain, has snow, sleet. That is the specific list of things that will not stop mailmen from okay, delivering okay. mail. But so, so if, if your list, if your list of powers can't stop mailmen from yeah. delivering uh, a letter, but you're, you're saying generally, you're not talking about Storm in this movie. You're talking about Storm, talking Storm as a character. character. Right. Okay. I'm talking about Storm. You, full stop. I thought at the first you just said she does not have weather powers. I'm like, they, there are multiple. Oh no, sorry. Of weather powers. <laughs> like she's got lightning. That's yeah. that's a good power. Lightning and flying. Just say yeah, she can make from. hurricanes. It's yeah, just a lot of collateral just, damage because they're usually in metropolitan areas. Some of the best powers in the X Men universe. She only ever uses lightning. Yeah, because so X Men Apocalypse hasn't come out yet. I bet she only uses lightning. Yeah, because that's like the, something that she can use to one. kill someone. Mm. But like, it's also just a cool fucking power. Ooh, Storm, yeah. use your sleet. Make some sleet. Make some mist. This is just your general anti-weather agenda that you come. Yeah, up. You we hear weird, again and again. Yeah. Well, we are experiencing <laughs> as we record this. Uh, Unforgiving heat wave. It's not that hot. Relax. It's, it's like 28. It's like 28 degrees. <laughs> so, it's you so bad. You're such a woman. I can't even Jesus think. Christ. Okay, so... The glare. Even with the blinds drawn, the glare is uh, almost blinding. The lightning is like the, the fireball in Street Fighter. Like, you know, you're going to use that more, but every now and again you whip out a hurricane kick. Like, you well, know, maybe you just when she gets bored, but it's, yeah. it's really... She's okay. also an incredibly, like, dignified, powerful, yeah. wise woman who's, like, the quasi-leader oh, yeah. okay. of the actually I've got a great problem. character She's who's a great really character. under-serviced by this Personality. Franchise. Yeah. No, no problem with her personality or the role she plays in the X Men or her role as teacher. Just saying, really, in terms of power set, it's basically lightning. Everything else mm. is just, it's just, it's just sort of an inconvenience. Moving on. All okay. of your issues are, with, are only with the women characters. Yeah. In this what's movie. with that? <laughs> and also your with ca- characters of co- with co- of color, people of color, including like blue. Yeah. <laughs> and um, African. I think we're... Uh, and women. Uh, what's to- Toad isn't anything, right? Can I, can I have a go at Toad? Will that even the score? Have scores? a go at amphibian people? Well, he was red and black in Man- yeah. <laughs> Phantom Menace. That's true. <laughs> Although those are tattoos. Yeah, true. Look, anyway, you just... You need to no. just calm down. Okay. Kyle. Okay, so... Um, oh, we've missed... A cu- we've again skipped over a scene that kind of doesn't ring true to me either and it's when they're both one of the first nights that wolverine and rogue are in the um school and rogue is um unable uh, unable to sleep and wolverine is having a bad dream and rogue just gets up and goes to his room for no reason now like are we supposed to believe that she could hear him or because it just it sort of just cuts to like she can't sleep and then it cuts to wolverine's room and she's in his room now i know that they are close but like what? Like she just what heard him and got up, and then he's having a bad dream. He stabs her, but then she absorbs his healing power to heal herself, and that's when we learn that she can do that. Um, and so it is important seeing that to establish that she's got that ability to, to absorb mutant powers. But I still was like, what is she doing? Like, why is she in his bedroom? I mean, I know it's Hugh Jackman, but still, like, I think she's sixteen. It's just like a nod to. The perennial Wolverine feature of he's always got like a young female protege yeah. who he's guiding up. So he's, he's always got like a Jubilee or an armor or a rogue or someone. A Kitty Pride as well. Yeah, 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 yeah. He does, but I still sort of 
I just didn't know. I, I agree. It's a bit weird that she's there, but it's one of those ones where when you're just watching it through, you don't really question it until yeah, later. You yeah. just go, oh, right, that's fine. The the characters we've been watching so far are in the same room. I'm used to that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 And you don't go, wait, why are they in that room at that time? That is weird. And then, so, basically, um, that then um, kicks off another part, another the next kind of plot point, which is that Rogue runs away. And what happens is Mystique... Um, pretends to be Bobby, Drake, Iceman, and and tells Rogue that they're really angry at her and that she should leave. Um, why did Mystique just grab her? Like, again, this is another plot point. Mystique's in the school and just, like, Mystique then Well, how goes, does she get out? Exactly. How does she get in? How does she get out? No, like, but I mean, no, I mean, if she grabs her, what's what's the next stage of I the guess. plan? She can't do just like, anyway, bye. I guess, but then, like... Kitty, could you run through that wall for me yeah. and hold, hold into a hand while I do it? Is like, it just too clear, too close to Xavier? I don't know. She, just just... Has, she has to infiltrate and then get out undetected. So. Yeah, which she does do because she then also um, sabotages Cerebro yeah. with some, what was that, some water thing. So many people just Food like coloring. break into Cerebro during the course of the entire franchise that I just kind of think, just stick a security guard outside there. Not even a mutant security guard, just like a rent-a-cop, just someone who's actually there who can scan people coming in and out because yeah. people just, like, waltz in and out of there like it's no big deal. Like, yeah, that's true. Like an enforced plastic padlock. Like, yeah. I was going to suggest just a regular padlock, but then, you know, Magnet would come in and <laughs> <laughs> move that around. So you make a plastic padlock and then, like, it's fine. No one that's else can, true. It, it doesn't, it, you can't morph into retinal mm. scans or anything. You can just, oh, man. <laughs> yeah, just a zip tie, yeah. just anything. Who has a bolt cutter mutation? <laughs> Stop using retina scans if you know that people can imitate retinas. Just use a, a four-digit PIN number. But I mean, there's always going to be a mutant that can get past pretty much anything. Like we learned that in like in fir- Days in Future Past with like um, uh, Fast Boy, what's his name, Quicksilver. Like mm. he can get through just by going really fast. And like I'm sure there'd be like there's Kitty Pride who could just walk through walls, and there's you know people who can chat. Like no. there's always going to be a mutant. That can get past whatever Stick they've got. A security camera, and then just have a guy. What if it was it. an invisible mutant? And you'd still see the door open. You'd still say, "Hey, Xavier, someone just too too late. Late. <laughs> You're in there, mate. Someone injected like soy sauce into your <laughs> weird cerebro <laughs> fluid. Why does cerebro need like tanks of fluid? What was also, that that's probably something you should just like have a regular check on. Just like, hey, how are the soy sauce levels? Oh, they're too yeah. high. <laughs> Let's yeah. not use cerebro. Yeah. Oh, or like someone's been into the soy sauce. Better check cerebro. Yeah. Like, yeah, there's, there's no OHNS. In, no. In mutant. Well, they're mutants. They could probably deal with it. So anyway, um, Rogue runs away to this train station. She's going to get on a train and then like um, Wolverine and uh, Storm and Cyclops go to get her and then there's like a scene where Storm and Cyclops fight Toad and Sabretooth in the thing, in the um, station and Wolverine gets on the train with Rogue and that's when Magnet finds them and this is where it's revealed that he's like, what do you want with me? He's like, I never really wanted you, I wanted Rogue. Mm. Again... How how he found out about Rogue is a big mystery to me. So then they capture Rogue, uh, and then I would buy that maybe him and Xavier had previously had some kind of like thing where they were keeping an eye on latent mutations yeah, that hadn't maybe. come Xavier up yet or something. Loved in one of their many many chats. Yeah, matches. they're always chatting. He's that's probably, his, that's all the other weird thing. So it's like, you heard anything about any yeah. power absorbing mutants? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, in this, these movies, and it's the same in the prequels, like in um, First Class they, and, and Days of Future Past, they play it up a lot. But basically that, um, yeah, Magneto and Professor X are like legitimately best friends. And yet 
That's my favorite part. They of fight movies. all the time. I know it's amazing, isn't it? Like they they genuinely like each other. They genuinely care about each other, and yet they're trying to kill each other all the time because they're just like, they're philosophically at odds. It's so cool. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, they they he captures Rogue. The plan is sort of um, revealed that yeah, he's going to because the power when he uses the machine, his powers are drained and it nearly kills him. He's going to transfer his powers to Rome to Rome to Rogue <laughs> and. To, I don't know why I said Rome. Uh, and uh, she'll she'll operate the machine and die instead of him. Uh, and it just basically sets up the big final set piece, which is at the Statue of Liberty, which is where they're going to set off this 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 machine and mm. get everyone at Ellis Island. I do like the the breakout of the train station sequence where yes. Magneto's yes. doing all. He's got all. There's a you know hundred cops uh, mm. with their guns at him, and he just like. Fuck shit up! And he, it's great. He's like lifting cars up, and he, and he at one point gets all of their guns out mm. of their hands, turns them on them, and then yeah, just like cocks all metal, of them at once, and it's a really cool moment. Metal powers are pretty cool, yeah, and, and in all of the movies, Magneto's powers, even though because you kind of go, oh, is that really like the powers of a supervillain? Like, is he really powerful enough? But actually, no, he's an incredibly powerful mutant. Like, it's cool. Too much iron in your blood. Oh, that's in number two. Yeah, that's amazing. And in even in um, first class, when he tw- twists the sc- mm. the yeah, that's it's really cool. Um, so yeah, they 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 go there, and then there's just all these fight scenes in in the building of the Statue of Liberty, and this is when basically the X Men, which is Storm, Cyclops, Jean, and Wolverine, suit up together and are a team for the first time. And this is, yeah, Cyclops makes the joke about, what would you prefer, yellow spandex, which mm. is a callback to the comics because they're all in black. And um, and they all just fight different people. This is when um, what has been called <clears throat> one of the worst lines in cinema history mm. happens in these scenes, which is when Storm is fighting Toad. Oh, yeah. And um, and she says to him, she's the, 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 storm, the storm is happening and she's got him on the ropes and she says... What's what's the what happens to a toad when it gets struck by lightning? Yeah. The same thing that happens to everything else. Yes. Which I actually personally is that really that bad? It's unwieldy. It's, it's a clanger. It's, all you it need sticks is out. It all you need is to change it to this. You go. Do you know what happens to a toad when it's struck by lightning? This. That's it. It's well, fine. I think. I mean, the way I read it is that originally it was going to be it croaks or he croaks. Oh yeah, that works. Uh, yeah. And I think that's that's worse. Prob- though. It is worse. I think. They saw that in the original script, might have even been like a Whedonism, like a quip, because maybe the movie was originally a bit more quip heavy, so it wouldn't have been out of place. And then they're like, well, we've made it a bit more realistic. We do have a scene in a concentration camp at the very start, so we can't get it like too silly with our What quips. happens to like, a frog when he, when he gets hit by lightning? He gets incinerated in an yeah. oven. Yeah. What is that? Ooh. What you're saying? That they Ooh. couldn't make that. Maybe sort that of was joke? the original. Maybe line. that was yeah. the original joke. In but which I case, think, good change. I think yeah. they. I think they changed it last minute to try and bring it into line with the rest of the movie. So they just inserted a placeholder or like just a, a random sort of the same thing that happens to everyone else, and then it just never got looked yeah. at. I personally don't think it's that bad. I mean, it's, I don't think it's good. I remember as a thirteen-year-old like wincing when I heard that. Line. I like to think that later Storm thought of the croaks thing and yeah. was like, "Ah, oh, ah, oh, shit! Yeah. <laughs> Should have said that." <laughs> like they're up in the Statue of Liberty and just, damn it! Yeah, what? Uh, nothing. It's fine. He's dead. <laughs> when she's trying to brainstorm quips, the only one she 
you can think of is for like hail and heavy rain yeah. and, and sunshine. <laughs> oh, I did all these like, sleep quips yeah, earlier. Like, I need an enemy who can be dispatched by sunshine. But uh, just, well, they're, they're Kyle. Not coming. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Me and Iceman. Yeah. <laughs> just she just puts it up above twenty five degrees, and Kyle's like, "I'm yeah, out. I'm, I'm done. You win. Lock me up in a plastic prison." Uh, but the fight scene at the Statue of Liberty also has like one of the best lines in the movie, which I. Pretty sure would have also been from Whedon. Yes. Which is, there's a shapeshifter running around, uh, impersonating the X-Men. Uh, Cyclops and Wolverine meet up. Cyclops says, uh, you know, prove that it's really you. And Wolverine says, you're a dick. And yeah. Cyclops is like, okay. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. It was a just a very movie. small moment. And but it's it was definitely really Whedon. Good. I yeah. think that's definitely a Whedon piece that they kept in. And in fact, that's one of the things they improve in number two is they make it a little bit lighter and have some, some pieces of levity more in number two. And because I remember when I first watched x-men those scenes of levity were actually some of the best and def- are definitely needed in it um and and the film finds its balance a little later on so basically they um you know they fight the guys there's a big um wolverine versus Sabretooth battle right at the end where he does the cool you know he, he fights on the, the spikes of, of sta- mm. the statue's head and mm. like that was always quite a um i remember that being a a a memorable scene that they put in the trailers and things like that from the movie, like that, like when Wolverine really cuts loose and fights and fully with his. I feel like that bit where he gets thrown and he catches his his uh, fist knife yeah. on like the top of the spire and kind of traces around it and then slices it off. That I didn't think that looked good. Uh, it looked then. a bit janky to me. Yeah, it doesn't always... look good, but it's a cool concept. But it's, it's a cool concept. But it's just one of those things where you go, "That's like the big moment of your big fight at the end of the movie. Mm. Like take another pass or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Put another render on it. Yeah, it's like those scenes in in various movies where someone's running over a bridge that's disintegrating and they're like <laughs> jumping from like. Like rubble to rubble as it's falling. Yep. I think I'm um, one of the Hobbit films. Yeah, the last Hobbit. Yeah, looking and at you, just, Battle just, of Five Armies. And, yeah, yeah, but yeah. it's not yeah. just that one. That I think it's in a Hellboy as well yeah. at some point in time. Yeah. And it just looks silly. Yeah, I reckon it looks okay in Harry Potter Seven Part Two, when um, Neville Longbottom's doing it. Oh, but yeah. that's because he's just like running down a, like a, just an exploding bridge. They're not trying to mm. make him leap off little. Yeah, I think it's only when you're going upwards as yeah. they're falling that yeah. it's kind of a bit weird. That was definitely um, yeah. There's actually a really good article. There's a really good um, YouTube clip about like why special effects, why some special effects don't work, and a lot of it has to do with not necessarily just visi- you know visually it, it doesn't look good because often it does. It's actually that physics isn't being mm. yeah. like followed yeah. and so our eyes go that doesn't look right to me and mm. that's why we don't we don't think it looks very good we'll only take like yeah so much in terms of like before before it'll just like break in our brains yeah, like, yeah, yeah. and it's funny because i was talking with people at work the other day about uh colossus in the new deadpool and i yeah. was saying how i thought that he looked really fantastic and they were saying no he looked like really fake and i'm like yeah but if you saw like a seven foot tall guy made out of metal i think you'd look at you'd think it looked fake in real life as mm. well like I think, yeah, the, I think the Colossus in the Deadpool movie looked about as good as you're going to get because I just, it's, it's like a concept we can't accept. It's hard when you see like creases in his muscles because that's something that's inherently fleshy, but mm. he's meant to be metal. So it looks, it, it looks kind of rubbery, even though it's CG. There was, there, there, yeah. were a few, there was something I noticed with Colossus yeah. in Deadpool. But. I know what you mean though, in the sense that some of these things that we're meant to look at and accept, like we don't, they're, they're not real and we've mm. never seen it in real life. So we actually don't know what it looks like in real life. Yeah. We actually don't have anything to compare it to. So yes and no, you can kind of get away with it being a bit more 
bit more um, less photorealistic if you know if it's like that if especially we we had a similar conversation when we talked about the hulk um mm. and the, the ang lee's hulk being really green yeah and like it working almost better when it's more cartoony um but yeah i, I thought it looked okay there was seen in deadpool i thought it was there were scenes that looked good and bad it, it, some scenes yeah. he looked fantastic and some scenes he didn't i thought but yeah anyway um i mean look that's that kind of is it, right? They, they they defeat Magneto. Rogue gets her famous white tips yeah, in her hair. Yeah, which looks great. And, um, I mean, I love Anna Paquin in this. I, lo- I loved her casting. I think part of the problem um, with the, sec- the second and third movies um, and actually Days of Future Past as well is the treatment of Rogue. It really bothered me that Kitty Pride then kind of became Rogue, the new Rogue. I mean, I don't see why they couldn't have had both of them in there and that they sort of wrote Rogue out because to yeah. me she's a she's a key character and in the f- especially in the first movie when you rewatch the first one and her and Wolverine's relationship is so important and then that gets sort of swept away in the in the later movies is yeah. a real shame. Because and they have a real nice like big brother little they sister. They do thing. and they work yeah. and I just really like her. She's great in the second one and it just yeah, that really bothers me yeah. what they ended up doing with that character. Mm. But um Can I mention a moment from the from the Wolverine fight right at the end again, yeah. like another one, but he's like trying to punch Magnet and Magnet's magneting as hard as he can and Wolverine's claws bend backwards. Mm. But like how does that work with bone? Because he has bone claws underneath his metal claws. Yeah, right. Well, does yeah. he? Yeah. Yeah. So they, so the bones are in there. Yeah. He's yeah, got, like, yeah. got bone claws. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, I, good question. Wouldn't the bones yeah. just reset? When, oh, I guess, how yeah, did, yeah, I kind of just being his, broken underneath the metal, right? How did he get his claws they back would. into, like, normal shape? Well, that's... Mag- Mag- oh, Magnet, Magnet did him a solid. Yeah. <laughs> He's like, Magnet- all right, you've beaten me, and by the by the laws of combat, I'll fix you up. <laughs> or when Magnets was, like, knocked out by the by Cyclops, maybe his powers just sort of sucked them back to where they were supposed to be. Yeah. Just magic, sort of. Mm-hmm. You know, like, when you, when you kill the it. big... Yeah. When you kill the big bad and all the little minions die, just conveniently. Yeah. That, that's something like I really don't like seeing in movies. Like, yeah. in Avengers 1, where yeah. Stark knocks out the ship and everyone just, like, faints at the same time mm. or dies. Mm-hmm. No, I find that very, I find that very satisfying when I'm watching. I'm really? Like, yeah, I'm like, yes, yeah, and then they all died. Or like in the movie, I apparently can't stop referencing the Phantom Menace <laughs> when they. Bl- <laughs> <laughs> Did you just see that or something? No, weirdly, <laughs> uh, but it keeps coming up here because I guess it's just the, the, the around the same time. But like they blow up the droid control ship, and then yeah, the entire the droid army goes. I love it because I get really nervous that they're not going to be able to beat all those minions, mm. and so I'm like, oh, what are they going to do? And then they, and then they just all fall. And I'm like, oh, phew, it's over. Like I don't know. <laughs> I find it very happy. Everything's wrapped up in a nice, tiny little bird. Exactly. Um, At least in Lord of the Rings, they didn't have the orcs just die when Sauron died, but they had the entire ground cave in around them. Yes, yeah. Sure, wouldn't want to be an orc in Aragorn's kingdom, I'll tell you that much. Wouldn't work out well for me. Messy reconstruction period. (laughs) But, um, so after, after Magnet gets defeated, he's thrown in the infamous plastic prison, which is one of my favourite parts from... The X-Men universe. Yeah. And uh, one more final game of chess with Xavier at the very end for him to rub it in. Uh, and I don't know, does anything else happen at the end? Well, Wolverine... Wolverine that, yeah, Wolverine goes to find his... And this, I guess, they basically set up number two because mm. um, in the, the big the big climax of the second movie is hap- it happens at that sort of that dam 
thing, that mm. damn damn. And uh, and it's sort of hinted that that's where Wolverine's got to go to find out more about his past. Um, and so he goes off to do that and he says goodbye to Rogue and, um, and she's sort of happy and settled now in her new life there and it's pretty much it. Oh, and the other thing they, they hint at, at in the um, – which Brian Singer confirmed is absolutely a deliberate hint um, was at the end – um, so when in the Statue of Liberty, Liberty, when the machine is going and that that big, um, the the you know the the, mutant, bubble. the mutant bubble is happening, um, and then it stops and it cuts to Jean who goes who sort of has this reaction shot. That is the awakening of the Dark Phoenix guys, ah, which really? yes, which was always being built. And that's if why it was always I, being planned. Then why did it suck so because much? Because Brian Singer left. See, see, episode three when I went on my rant about Superman Returns. Mm. Okay, yeah. that's why. And that Brett is Ratner why. Is why. And that Ratner is why. Is answer for a lot of problems. I'm very upset with the entire thing because it was setting up almost the perfect trilogy, apart from say Nolan's Batman. But if if that movie, if X, if Brian Singer had stayed on and done X Men Three, guys, it would have been. Oh, so good. It would have been so good. Because, yes, they were they were planning for her to be the big bad in the third one from the very beginning. Anyway. Um, I wanted to get into problems with X3, but I'm sure that'll come up when oh, we actually do that. Yeah, that's why I stopped. That's why I didn't say anything. I, there. I was like, it. nah. It's going to really upset me when we get to that one. But anyway, because after the highs of X2... Um, so, rating Magneto's plan, I wouldn't rate it very highly I for a lot of reasons. I very poorly. Uh, bad idea. Bad idea, badly executed. There are a lot of things that don't make sense about it. Just build a bomb. That's <laughs> all I'll say. I'll leave it at that. I would, I would just flat out give him an F for fail. Uh, I think the plan is just very ill-conceived. Doesn't really ideologically match his convictions. Very, very hard to pull off. Just, just badly managed from 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 the very get go, from its inception. And it's just a pity because he's one of the best villains in Marvel's entire universe. Oh yeah, and he's he also, should be. Would turning every, the world leaders into mutants instantly, like even if they would that actually make them want to fight for mutant causes? Well, who knows? Wouldn't it just like disgrace their political it careers? Really it doesn't really sense. work. I mean, yeah. it's not like like if he, I could, I could buy Magneto like doing a, a long game of like. Get you know finding mutants who are you know um, like Mystique who are shapeshifters and able to sort of get into offices of power by subterfuge and keeping their mutant uh, you know side a secret. I could buy that being a plan that he would run over like twenty years or something, but that's obviously you can't really do that in a movie like this. Yeah, but, and I mean I don't yeah. want to like flippantly go into various persecuted minorities, but if you look at like sort of apartheid equivalent states, or you look at persecuted minorities throughout history, you're like. If you were in their shoes, would you just want to turn, like, your oppressors into you? Or would you just want to, like, secure your own freedom and, and security and just, like, forget about them completely? Well, I don't think any of us as white, middle-class Australians can really comment further on that. Yes. Yeah, uh, I don't have leave, it at, leave it at thinking that... <laughs> We've made our 9-11 and Holocaust jokes yes. enough for the day. Well, I have, anyway. But, I mean, it kind of it invites it. It... it invites that sort of discussion with open arms because it's it's it trying to it's trying to play off those themes but in the end it always kind of sells it a bit short or at least it does in x-men one look guys as a woman with a disability i really find it speaks to me at a very personal level and uh that's probably why i love the x-men so much because i am such 
a persecuted minority. Anyway, should we plug it up and finish the podcast? Sure, let's do that. Um, should we? Uh, Deadpool came out this week. Go see Deadpool. Yeah, or last week. Yeah, check it out. Really great. Yeah, really, really great. We all we, liked it. We'll do an episode on it we, at some point. We might. We might. Yeah, we'll talk about that down the track. Um, thanks for listening to us talking about X Men, though. But if you'd like to hear us talk about other things. We all do that in other scenarios, don't we? We certainly do, Steph. Thanks. <laughs> uh, Sorry, I'll go first. Yeah, yeah. I, I uh, present uh, Arts Weekly on 3MBS um, Radio in Melbourne. It's an FM channel. It's community classical music station. And uh, you can also listen to us online, 3MBS.org.au. Boys. Cool. Uh, I've got another podcast on Australian history, uh, laststoptonowhere.com. Can hear me talking about it with my co-host Michael, and I am an improviser. Hey, do you like Shakespeare? Yes. Great. Do you like improvisational comedy? No. Oh well, you like one of the things that's in a show that I'm in called Soup. <laughs> improvise your way out of that, smart guy. Hey, fifty yes. percent ain't bad. Yes and no, I don't yeah. like it. Yeah. <laughs> Tell you what, I have seen many a comedy festival show where I didn't like as much as half of something that was in it. So you know, hey, this is at least fifty percent. Hey, um, go for it, man. Point is, Soup Players is doing a full run of the comedy festival coming up in the Melbourne International Comedy Festival. You can check out. Our, um, our schedule at soothplayers.com. All the details are there and you can get tickets. Tickets are available now. Go see comedy in Melbourne and go and see local comedians like like Owen, please. And that comedy festival, it's kicking off in March, right? Yeah, like March. Like March 24th, I think, is when it starts. Yeah. So you can get tickets. It's all online. Yeah, you can get a discount code at soothplayers.com as well to sign up for the mailing list. Oh, my God. Um, we're on um, all social media. Uh, we're, uh, we're on Facebook. Uh, tight scam action and we're on twitter tca pod um and uh please if you like us tell people about the show we're starting to get a little bit of traction on uh, the itunes and go rate us on itunes if you like us we um we really like doing the podcast and um if you want to continue us to continue we'd love your support right cool. absolutely yeah right yeah, can, you, yeah. can you back me up? Please? We need verbal oh, confirmation don't be, don't from you, Kyle. <laughs> I'm not going to beg for iTunes recommendations. I am. But I Guys, get on we my... really need these iTunes please. recommendations. <laughs> Kyle is like breaking down crying after as soon as recording finishes. Unrelated. Like, what? <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for listening. See you next Thank time. Thank you. Bye.